everybody. How you doing? Man, man, is it windy out there this weekend, huh? Wow, it's so windy. My neighbors have chickens, and a hen had laid the same egg three times this morning. That's how windy it is. Yeah. Hey, well, we're saying welcome to our uh, new kids on the block at the Abingdon campus. Everybody big, give a big hoot to the Abingdon campus. Glad you're with us. Only a few weeks old, and uh, uh, hug and howdy to all our friends at the Bel Air campus up at the Arena Club. They go to work out their faith every weekend, and Edgewood campus, Mountain Road campus, online people, we're glad you're here. Today is going to be a very important day. I think it will be important for you. I know it will be important for me. Uh, It will be important for us as a mountain family. And as a result, it will be important for the community where God has planted us and for really the whole world. Every once in a while, you have an experience with a group of people that is just kind of special because everyone kind of gets their hearts aligned around a common dream, a common vision, attitudes are right, and you pull something off and you experience something that's just amazing. Um, You could call it an everybody experience, right? An everybody experience kind of experience. Not an out-of-body experience. You've had one of those maybe too, but an everybody experience, right? Um, I had one of those several years ago um, at this place. Put a picture on the screen here, and some of you old-timers will recognize that right away from a scene in the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. All the old fogies remember that movie. This is Devil's Tower in Wyoming. It's a jut of 900 feet high rock that comes popping out of the plains in, in Wyoming. And back in the day, a bunch of idiot friends of mine and I decided it was a good idea to go climb that thing. So we drove from Minnesota, got there, camped out, got up the next morning at 4 a.m. and hiked over the boulder field to the base of this mammoth rock. And I'll never forget when the sun came up and you could really just sort of look at that thing towering over you, mocking you. It kind of made me have to go to the bathroom, actually. It was just sort of amazing. And none of us would have attempted that on our own. Um, But together, off we went. Uh, if you look closely at the next picture, you can see how big this thing is. There's, there's climbers on there. You, can, you can't really see that. I guess, I don't know if you can see. That's a little humanoid climbing there. And it's scary sometimes. And it's exhausting. It's physically draining. It's emotionally taxing. If you zoom in a little closer, you can see the route that we took up there on top of that column there. And it just requires, you've got to work together. Uh, not just to belay each other and so, but, but you have to work together to encourage each other and to beat back the fear. And this shot kind of shows you a little bit about the fear. When you're climbing up a crack and, and you're exposed to 700 feet of air beneath you, it's a little, it can be a little daunting. But at the end of the day, we all eventually, one by one, pulled ourselves over the lip of the summit 
and stood there together under the setting sun. And you can just imagine the excitement that was for us. I mean, I don't probably have to describe it, but it was awesome. You know, we're just, you know, high-fiving and hooting and hollering and just like, you know, you get to sign the little log that says you're one of the few that did something that not everybody can do. And we were part of something that was bigger than any of us, but everybody was needed. Everybody got there. We had an everybody kind of experience. And I love those kinds of moments. And what I love about this church is that we get to have a lot of those together. Everybody kinds of moments. We've been kind of having one for the last year. It started a year ago in this deal we call Unleash Love. We, we just rallied people together and we said, you know what? If we just appreciate more fully how much God has loved us and then just commit to unleashing that on others, we've been blessed to be a blessing. So let's just, let's just unleash more love, more prayers, more finances into God's work, more, more hands, more hearts, all banding together. And you know what? It, it's, been a, it's been a crazy, wonderful experience. And I remember when Carl and I wrote a number on a card that we were going to commit a year ago. I kind of had to go to the bathroom a little bit when I looked at that number, actually, because I had never done anything like that. But, I, you know, I looked around. It's like, if you'll do it with me, we can do this. Who's in? And we, we joined together, and off we've gone, and it's been quite a ride. And so here we are now halfway up, if you will. We're kind of at a landing place to kind of catch our breath and just say, okay, here we go. Let's continue to the top. And that's what this series has been about. If these stones could speak is kind of an opportunity to open Scripture and hear from God in a fresh way um, just about where we are with God and what we're ready for for the next year and what he's calling our church to do. And I want to encourage you today as we wrap up this series, we're moving on to another series next week. It's going to be great. You've heard about called Light. But today, I just want to really encourage you to what I would say is unfold the arms you know, sometimes I'll talk to our team as we're planning. I'll say, you know, sometimes when we come to worship, sometimes literally, but sometimes figuratively, we kind of have our arms folded because we're busy, we're preoccupied, or I'm a little bit resistant, or I just don't know if I have time for this, or this might step on my toes or whatever. So we kind of, but I just want to encourage you, whether, whether literally or not, figuratively, unfold your arms to open yourself up to whatever God might want to say to you and invite you for today. Would you do that? I mean, if you don't want what God wants for you, why are you here? I'll be honest. I'm a little anxious about the end of this series and this message, not because I'm nervous about what we're going to talk about, but because I'm afraid someone's going to miss it, <laughs> that, that, that some of us just won't be able to open up. And I think we will get what God has for us if we open up. So I've just been vulnerable enough to tell you that in, in hopes that maybe you will do the same. So open your Bible, if you will. We're going to jump in and learn from the shortest guy in the Bible, actually. At least I think he was short. His name is Nehemiah. And uh, if you'll check it out, if you, it's in the Old Testament, right about there, right about that far in. And uh, you can check it out, get on your little phone app or whatever. Some of you people don't have paper Bibles anymore. So uh, dig it out, and we're going to check this out. This guy helped orchestrate one of the most amazing everybody experiences I know of. And there's so much to learn here that it's going to just kind of help walk us through as we bring our own everybody experience to God here today. So um, he's actually a huge figure, not a little guy at all, uh, in the Old Testament. And he is, um, 
it says in verse 11 of chapter 1, cupbearer to the king. I was cupbearer to the king. That's kind of a role we don't have anymore. It's kind of like a head of security, a very highly trusted position. Everyone was out to get the king, you know, so he had to protect himself. And a cupbearer was literally the one who bore or carried around the cup of the king. Why, do you suppose? So no one could poison the king because everyone was trying to take the king out. So he had to have a cupbearer. So it's a highly trusted and a cushy job. You live in the palace. The king we're speaking of is Artaxerxes. It's about 450 B.C. He's the king of Persia. And the fact that Nehemiah is his cupbearer is remarkable. It says something about Artaxerxes, that he's this Persian king, and because he was a student of Zoroastrianism, he was kind of open to anything. So he lets this Jewish, this Israelite Nehemiah, high up in rank into his, into his palace. But it also says something about Nehemiah. That this Israelite, this outsider, would work his way that high into government. And so there he is. He's got this great job. He's a cupbearer to the king. It's kind of a cush job. Lives in the palace. But there's trouble. And the trouble will require us to maybe do a quick history and go back a little context here. About 90 years prior to when your Bible begins in Nehemiah 1, um, the city of Jerusalem, which was like headquarters for the Jewish faith, was attacked and overcome and plundered by enemies. And the Jewish people were dragged off into captivity, humiliated and forced to serve as slaves. And this has been going on for a while. And you can imagine how devastating it was, especially because it's Jerusalem, the capital city. And not just that, Jerusalem stood for the strength and reputation of God himself, you know? When it was sacked and trashed, the name of God was thrown in the trash too. And so now this faith that they hold to, this God they believe in, is like a laughing stock. And there it is for everyone to see. And so as the world powers changed over a sequence of years, the Jews are passed around like plunder, but eventually... Some of them are allowed to go back out of captivity and go back to Jerusalem and start to resettle it. And this is what's going on when the book of Nehemiah opens. People are beginning to start making these trips. And what happens is you turn to chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Nehemiah's brother, Hanani, has made one of these trips. And now he's coming back to Persia where Nehemiah is. And Nehemiah's dying to know, how are things back home? You read the first two verses, and that's what Nehemiah asks. Tell me, what's going on back home now that we can resettle? Are, 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 are things rebuilt yet? Are, are, are things vibrant and growing? Is the name of God honored again? Are our family and friends okay? Are things in good shape? Are we good? And unfortunately, his brother has very bad news. Verse 3, And they said to me, No, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. It's Jerusalem. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So you can picture the scene like an apocalyptic nuclear war zone. You know, after a tornado blasts through a Midwestern town and levels it and there's nothing but splinters, that's what Jerusalem is. It's Houston, Jacksonville, or the Virgin Islands after the hurricanes, right? Just kind of everyone's looting and raucousy. And those who, few who have staggered back to Jerusalem discovered that there's a pile of rubble waiting for them. People living in shelters, if they're there at all, chaos. 
In ancient times, if your walls of your city were down, you were in deep trouble because you were exceedingly vulnerable to any marauding band of bandits or terrorists that would want to come in. You couldn't build businesses back up. As soon as you got some goods to sell, they would just come in at night and steal it, attack you. So they're subject to all these terrorists and this awful stuff. And all this news hits Nehemiah like a ton of bricks. And he says in verse 4, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Think about that for a little bit. His reaction. You can tell a lot about a person by what makes them cry, can't you? By what stirs us, what might drive us to our knees in prayer or to fast. It's one thing when you cry because your life is the one that's in shambles. It's even more remarkable if you're weeping for someone else because of their plight. The Bible enjoins us to weep with those who weep. But there's more going on here with Nehemiah. He's not weeping for himself. He's never been to Jerusalem. He's not weeping just for his family. He's he's weeping for God. He's weeping for God's name. He's weeping for God's sake, for God's glory, for God's honor, for God's mission, for God's people, for the sake of reputation of what the God that he believes in and serves and how it's being trashed, and it's in a heap of rubble as well. Do you ever care about the things of God so much that sometimes it just makes you want to cry because you see the state? When God is mocked, does it bother you or do you skate by? Do you you ever kind of... Look at someone who's far from God and it just makes you want to do anything to help them. That it hurts inside. Does it ever bother you that the mission of God in our own country is languishing? Does it bother you that that the fastest growing religious group in this country is the nuns? Those who when asked, what's your religious affiliation? Check the box that says, none, don't got none. The second fastest growing is the duns. Those who say, I used to do it, but no more, I'm done with that. Half of those 18 to 35-year-olds who grew up in the church are leaving the church. The mainline denominations have been losing people by the millions for decades. This year in this country, 3,500 churches will close their doors. And yet, and yet... People are hungrier than ever for hope and meaning, purpose and rest, wholeness, truth and belonging and value and forgiveness. And some good news to interrupt the disgusting newsreel of the latest hero who turns out to not be so great. It's just that What ought to break our hearts is that fewer and fewer people it would occur to to look at the church of Jesus Christ as a place to provide all that. Because in their minds, it's a pile of rubble, something that used to be relevant but is no more. And so, my friends, listen. We've got to recognize the fact that for whatever reason, God has chosen to bless this place called Mountain. In that kind of climate, 
where the walls to many appear to be crumbled. Look how he's blessing us. And in our own fumbling, humble way, people are coming to know Christ. We're growing. We're expanding the reach. God's work is being done. People who don't go to church, go to church here. People who hate church, go to church here. And we're in like what the top 1% of all churches just in terms of the growth. That's not a way of bragging. It's saying you, we better recognize the responsibility we have so that what breaks the heart of God will continue to break our hearts and we'll never get callous to the world and, and we'll be able to, like Nehemiah once in a while, let our hearts be broken, weep before God and say, someone's got to rise up and do something. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. He, God begins to touch his heart in that moment and he knows he's got to do something to engage the problem. God's calling him to do something. Maybe he's calling you to do more with your life, to put God more at the center of your life, to unleash love through your life. And I think he's calling our church to do that. And Nehemiah's got a lot to lose. He had a cush job. I mean, doesn't get any higher than you can get for an Israelite in that you know, place. But listen, he, he, he's going to be able to help Jerusalem. There's only one way. He's going to have to go to the king and see if he can get, get off to go, go do that. But when you know something's right... Even if it's scary, God blesses it. Isn't that true? Have you found that to be true in your own life? When it's the right thing and it honors God, even if it's scary, go for it. Go for it. And does it, God seems to work best, in fact, in those situations and times when we're willing to step out in faith and trust him a little bit, risk something, sacrifice something, put it out there. I find in my life, I so easily gravitate back to a kind of safe place, a comfort zone. Do you do the same thing? Where I don't, I don't interact with my neighbors. I stop praying for people as much who are lost. I stop, I stop trying to get into an uncomfortable place and I try to hold on to some comfortable thing. But when I put stuff on the line, when I'm willing to trust God and take a step of faith, God shows up in bigger ways. That's what Nehemiah is doing. He says, for what's at stake, I'll take the risk. And I hope you're willing to do the same, mountain people. He goes to the king. He goes to the king and he makes a big ask. He says, king, I mean, he could be, just, he could be killed for going into the king's presence. He goes into the king's presence and here's what he says. I need to go back to Jerusalem. I've got to do something to, to, to repair the walls and preserve the name of my God. I need some time off. I need extended leave. And I need a military entourage to give me an escort. And I need to plunder your forest and take all the wood so I can go rebuild the gates. You talk about swinging for the fences. Wow. But I love it. And I think God does too. Friends, as we think about mountain, and think about your life, swing for the fences, dream big. We're not, after all, trying to do some puny little mission. You look at what we're trying to pull off. It's not some little inconsequential thing. Well, you know, we just have a little church, and, you know, let's have a potluck on Wednesday, and if you want to drop a penny in to help cover expenses, we'll, we'll see what happens. No, we're trying to do immeasurably more than anything we could dream up or ask or imagine. We're trying to change the world, doggone it. Dream big, swing for the fences. That's who we are. That's what God has called us to do. And to do that, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 8, guess what? He says, well, because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. Glad he went big, aren't you? 
When you dream big, God honors it in your own life and for a church. So Nehemiah waits for the time, and he eventually he makes that trip. He takes time off. He gathers up all the wood. He got a big wagon train full of all this materials and stuff and a whole bunch of people, and they head back to Jerusalem to try to see what they can do. When he gets there, verse 11 of chapter 2 tells about how um, he starts... He takes a midnight ride, not like Paul Revere, but in the middle of the night to go survey and assess the state of things and see how bad it really is. And as he's riding around, he just realizes what a shambles things are in. The gates are burned to a charred heap. There's a rubble pile so big at one place he can't even get his horse over it. And verse 17, he calls his guys together and he says, but now I said to them, you know full well what trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. And its gates have been destroyed by fire. He got a good look at it. He saw it in person. What before he had heard about, now he saw with his eyes, and it gave him a sense of vision. And when you get a sense of vision, when you see it, it just stirs up your heart even more. And I hope that's happened for you in the last few weeks, as we've told stories of what God has done through Mountain, as we've recounted how these stones have stories to tell. When you see a face and a name, man, it, it encourages you and gives you vision. And that's how Mountain's ministry is based on real people and real needs. It's about real people and real needs. And so, Nehemiah, verse 17, stands before the people. And he throws out a challenge. Come, he says, let's do this. Let's rebuild these walls and end this disgrace. And God's gracious hand has been on me. Let's do this. Who's with me, he says. Friends, I don't, I don't have a fancy sermon for you today. I don't got a lot to say. I'm just going to read Nehemiah. And honestly, that's, how, that's my message to you. Let's do this. Let's move ahead. Who's with me? That's, that's my message. Just like that. And I hope your response will be what theirs was. Because the people, together, collectively, rose up and said in verse 18, let's do this. Let's rebuild this wall. And I love this phrase. And so they began the good work. I love that. Friends, there's so much that we're not doing right and that we're behind on and all that. But you know what? What what y'all do, what we do together, it's good work. It matters. It's a good work. As we join together in this good work, faith is ignited and hearts are united and big old pile of rubble gets transformed into something good. And as it begins to rise, faith rises with it as we, like living stones, are joined together into the chief cornerstone. It's called the church. Every one of us is either a living stone or living like a stone. And so here we go. There's opposition anytime you try to do something. If you try to do anything, there's going to be opposition. If you're not getting any opposition, a little clue to you. Check your pulse. You might be dead or you're not doing anything. Okay? Anytime you try to do something, especially big, you're going to have detractors and opposition. They did. Some of the opposition comes from ourselves, inner doubt, can I really be a part of this? Should I, I'm, not, I'm probably outclassed. I'm not a good enough person. Or is it worth it? What if we fail? 
I don't know, you have outside detractors sometimes that just say, are you getting a little overboard with the Jesus-y stuff? Or is that really a good investment? How do you know where the money goes? How do you know that's really your best place to invest your time? How do you know you can trust those friends of yours you have over at the church? There's all kinds of detractors. They had them. In verse 19, a whole bunch of guys start rallying around, and they scoffed contemptuously. They start rebuilding the wall, and they just laugh. What are you guys doing? People sometimes not react the same way to what you do as a Christ follower or what we do as a church. There's always detractors and doubters and naysayers and inner critics and greed and fear and all kinds of things that rise up, say, we can't, and what are you doing? And we can respond the same way they did. Verse 20, Nehemiah just says, you know what? God's in this. The God of heaven is going to give us success. And we, his servants, will start building this wall. God's just looking for some servants of the Most High God who will rally together and say, God's calling us to this, and we believe if God's in it, he calls me to do it, he calls you to do it, you grab your brick, I grab mine, and one by one we put them together, he's going to do something great with it. And the detractors can say what they're going to say. Haters going to hate. Builders going to build. I love chapter 3 of Nehemiah. If you look at chapter 3, you're going to say, why would he love chapter 3? Because basically it's 32 verses of really hard-to-pronounce names. It's not a chapter you want to try to memorize, unless you're just a glutton for punishment. But I love it because what Nehemiah does, he says, you know what? We need everybody. This has got to be an everybody experience. And he goes around and he starts rehearsing all the people who dove in to help start rebuilding those walls. And he names them. Look at verse 1. There's some guy by the name of Eliashib. Some of you looking for baby names? Just saying. He's a high priest. I don't know many priests or pastors that are any good with handy stuff, but this guy was apparently, and a whole bunch of them start getting together, and they, re- they rebuilt the whole sheep gate. And he's just saying, hey, every time you see that sheep gate, you think of that team over there. They did that. They're part of everybody. Pr- very impressive. Good job, Elias Sheep. Verse 2, he goes on and says, now people, a whole a work team from Jericho came over, worked right next to him for, for the whole time. And beyond them was a guy named Zakur. Let's call him Zach. And he, he did a bunch of stuff too. Good job. And then verse 3, he tells about this guy, Hesena'ah. Hesena'ah is like a master builder. He's this amazing guy. He works circles around everybody else. He's got the, you know, the truck and the little leather belt and the whole stuff, power tools. He does the whole deal and replaces the doors and the gates, all this stuff. And it's amazing all he does. That's how it is in the church, by the way. Sometimes some of us can do so much more. They just so much, they give so many gifts, so many talents, so many resources, finances, time, and ability. And, that's, and, and, and we celebrate that. If that's you, bring it. Offer it to the Lord. But I, what I love is the next verse. Verse 4. He goes, oh, and next to him was Meshulam. You've never heard of him, but he, he made a couple repairs. Isn't that great? You got the guy who did the, he did all this stuff in that whole section there. He didn't know. And he, he made some repairs. It's like he's, he's like me. He's like, you don't want to leave me alone with a hammer. I mean, it's just not going to end good. And, and that's maybe this guy. Maybe he's not handy. Maybe he's just, maybe he's really old and his best energy is already behind him. Or maybe he was special needs. Who knows? But there he is with a little patch of mud and a trowel like, am I helping? And Nehemiah says, yes. Everybody matters. We need every brick. It all counts because this is an everybody experience. He's a part of everybody. 
so are you. Whatever part, every brick matters. God wants to use everybody together. God could have just snapped his fingers and done some miracle and raised the wall, but that isn't how God works. It's never how God works. God knows there's an experience, an encounter he wants to have with each one of us on a solo. Like, I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how new you are to the faith, it doesn't matter. He wants to connect with us and then have each of us not just connect with him privately, but then come together in a way to do something none of us could do on our own. And that somehow brings glory to God, and that's what we're called to do unfold our arms and be open to say, God, what, what part am I supposed to play? What's my brick? Nobody did it all, but together they got it done. And I hope that's your attitude as we bring this thing down because it all matters. It matters to God. It'll matter to you in your life. And it matters in terms of what we're able to get done and how the wall goes up. So that's where we are. Reminds me of the story of um, the census taker who was going around collecting data, whatever, knocks on his woman's door. She answers the door. She says, oh, may I ask you a few demographic questions? She says, sure. He starts with, oh, how many kids you got? She's like, four. Names? She says, Eeny, Meeny, Miney, and George. He's like, George? <laughs> What'd you name your last kid George for? And she says, because we didn't want no more. You didn't want no more. All right. I know you think it's corny, but you'll use that. I know you will. You keep, you, you, you're dissing me, and then you go and use it. Um, that's how it works. Listen, 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 guys. There's Mo for Mountain. God is not finished with us. There's Mo to do. Am I right? There's Mo people to be reached. There is Mo stuff to be done. There's Mo in your life that God wants to do. There is a lot Mo. There is a lot Mo. I love verse. 6 of chapter 4, Nehemiah 4, 6. He kind of takes a snapshot and says, at last the wall was completed to half its height. Kind of like, at last, finally, we're half done. That's exactly where we are. I know we gave our hearts to it. We worked hard at it. We've gotten this far, but we're half done. There's Mo. There's a lot Mo. And boy, we've done a lot. I love this thing here because it celebrates some of, the, some of the stuff we've done. I mean, we launched the Abingdon campus. Hallelujah, it's going great. We're averaging 1,000. They've already had 20 baptisms over there fantastic. Why aren't you applauding? That's good news. Come on. Come on. That's awesome. Hey, we, we relocated the Bel Air campus, and it's going great, and it's growing, and the huge turf field, and the lights, and all there. You know, in the last eight weeks, three brand new churches we've been able to participate because of Unleashed Love have been launched in the Baltimore, D.C. area. Did you know that? Three brand new churches. The Collective Church in Frederick, Encounter Church in Columbia Heights, United Church in Owing Mills. All of them going great, having baptisms and growing. That's awesome. We're blessing people because of Unleashed Love. Do you know that six containers of about 10,000 pounds of stuff that, that we brought for, uh, to Unleashed Love are on their way right now to Puerto Rico? Okay? That's happening. We've already, we got a group back from Houston. Uh, they went down to Houston, and we're going to take 1,000 more on trips. Sign up. Let's go. Let's unleash love. 2,300 adults in this church every week participate in a small group or a Bible study. Some of you aren't on that list. You need to be. We're now doing student ministry at four campuses, okay, four different programs. As a result, 180 new middle and high school students this year, 180 new kids. That's good news. 
Um, Scott, my friend Scott, struggled with drugs and alcohol for a long, long time. Through the grace of God and the ministry of this church, he's clean, he's free, he's sober, but he had a scary patch a couple weeks ago. It was like all the triggers were there. His wife was out of town. He's like, what do I do? But the ministry of Celebrate Recovery was there for him, and they called him every day, and they got him through it. Now he's like, I'm so happy. You know what? I used to pay a top dollar to get high that I get every time I come into the doors of Mountain Christian Church. Friends, that's why we're here, here, there, and everywhere. And there's a lot more of that to do. A lot more of that to do. The wall is only half built. We've got to get Abingdon and Bel Air financially stable. We've got kids' spaces. We've got to renovate and bring in. We've got online campus things that are going to grow and expand, but not without some cash. We've got outreach and missions and church plants that have to happen. We've got to finish what we started. So here's what I'm asking. More prayer. More serving. More loving. More giving. Let me turn our focus there for just a moment because that's important. The giving part's important. In fact, in the book of Nehemiah, as Nehemiah wants to gather everyone together and look at the progress and what's been done, he gathers them together. They have this big Thanksgiving service. They get some music out just like what we do every weekend. And then in verse 44, I love it. This is what they have to do in verse 44. He says, at that time, he says, we got to get some folk who are in charge of the storerooms. For what? For all the stuff that people are bringing, the first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the towns, they were to bring into the storehouses the portions they required. They recognized that giving is a part of the ongoing work and a way to celebrate what God has done. And those same two things, I think, apply to us today. First fruits means we've got to give off the top. That's what that means. It, means, it doesn't mean you give some leftovers if you've got it. It means I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to trust God by giving first. The first fruits go to God. I'll have no other gods before me, God says. Off the top. And the tithe is 10%. Carl and I tithe 10% of our gross to the church where we worship and serve. It's called Mountain. That's what we do. And as we give in these kind of way, just like they did, I tell you what, it's a way of just, it's a way of bolstering and verifying my spiritual authenticity. I can tell you I'm a pastor, and you'll think I'm a, you know, I'm a good Christian guy. I can tell you I go to church and all that stuff, you know what? But if you want to know a person's faith and if it's real, don't pay attention to what they say or what they look like. Look at what they do. And anyone can talk about how much they love the Lord, but when you cowboy up on the stewardship stuff, there's no fake in that. And that's why God says, I want your heart. I don't need your money. I need your heart. And so giving is a huge part of my spiritual life. It's a huge part of yours too, one way or the other. And here's an opportunity for us to take a huge step of faith. And we're going to take that step as an everybody step today. Nehemiah, Unleash Love, similar projects. Opportunity to trust God, address a huge need, and see what God will do. I I, I love what my friend Daryl McDavid says. So watch the screen and you'll hear some of his story. We were a part of the Mountain Road campus for 10 years, and um, in 2015, we made the move to the Edgewood campus, the epicenter, and um, partly of the reason for that was we, we moved to Edgewood, and we wanted to be a part of our local church there, and, um, and the Edgewood campus has been great for us. We've got connected to a lot of really um, close friends, um, and it's, that's the church that really opened up our serving opportunities. Through Unleashed Love, our um, 
families really got involved with um, serving here in church. I wouldn't say we really did a ton of before, but we are now actively serving. And I'm a part of the welcome ministry um, and chair set up specifically. We're also not just serving in the, in the church. We find ourselves since this series serving within the community and within um, our own family and, and friends. We made the commitment for Unleashed Love. Our commitment there was to tithe, and that, quite honestly, was something my family has struggled with in the 10 years we've been coming here. I really looked at it as a, well, after we pay for the things we need to pay for, whatever's left, then we could maybe give an offering up. And um, I looked at it also as a way that maybe tithing's for people that make a lot of money, that are better off than, than what we are. And um, through Unleashed Love, um, and I learned that um, we give that first. And it's exciting for me because it's brought me into a better relationship with Jesus. And, and when you're giving over your money, something that I've wrestled with for so long, um, there's so much trust that comes along with that. And he is um, someone you can trust in. I always say it's, tithing is this amazing worship experience for me. Um, I'm, it's a funny thing, but I'm 6'8", I'm worshiping in the front row, and um, I like the worship part of service on Sunday mornings, but I can't clap and sing it at the same time. So I'm clapping, but the moment words come on, I, I have to stop um, so I can sing. Uh, and tithing isn't that way for me. It's a real way that I can trust God, and um, I get, it's, it's my favorite part of a church service is, is giving my tithe and offering. So. The Unleashed Love journey has been um, very uplifting, uplifting for us. It's been amazing. I, I see my children really observing, and, and we're speaking about Unleashed Love often, uh, especially around the dinner table and what we're, what we're witnessing from it. And I believe it's going to have an impact. We keep continuing to see more opportunities to, to keep giving and to, to continue to serve. And we're trying to figure that out in our family dynamic. We are a young family. We have three young kids. And, and both my wife and I are starting to want to continue to give more. And the, the struggle there is how, how do you make that happen? Um, and uh, we're, even though it's struggle, it's super exciting. Uh, we haven't experienced anything like this before. I so appreciate uh, his reflections on that. And now I just want to invite you to have your own time of reflection. This is our everybody experience moment. And we're going to use these cards as a way to do it. I think of these cards like bricks. They almost look like bricks. Can I just encourage everybody to get one of these cards in their hands for the moment of prayer we're going to have right now? There's one on your seat. Every single person, I'll wait for you to find one and get it in your hand. And if you haven't filled one out and returned one in, I'm, I'm going to strongly encourage every single person, everybody, uh, to do that in the next few minutes. And, and we can just hearken back to those words from the book of Nehemiah when it says, let us do this good work. And the God of heaven will give us success. That's what we're here to do. Our goal is that we'd have 100% participation. So to get there, let's just have some moments of prayer. We're just going to have some quiet. Time to reflect and for each of us to simply ask, God, what is it that you want me to do through Unleashed Love? Focusing here on the financial piece because that's such a vital part of our, our walk with God. It's important for your spiritual life. It's important for Mountain. 
and our spiritual health, but also the work that we're called to do. So every brick matters. Yours does. So let's just prepare our hearts. And I, I really believe everyone should take one of three steps, and they're kind of actually listed right in the card here. I'm going to encourage everyone to figure out which, which box is me. It's uh, either box number one, which is basically you weren't here a year ago. You have not to this point made a commitment. Maybe you were here, but you just kind of checked out or let it pass by or went into, you're, you've been kind of observing and a spectator more than a participant. And I just want to challenge you. If, you were, if you're new or you weren't here or to whatever reason you haven't participated, I want to challenge you to make a commitment to unleash love for this next year, whatever size that God leads you to. So you can put God more at the center of your life and this church more at the center of your heart. So that might be for some of you. For some of you, it'll be the second box, which is honestly, you made a commitment a year ago, but you've maybe had some struggle keeping up with it. Maybe you've hit some choppy financial waters or despite your intentions, you just, through inattention maybe, it got, you got behind or whatever the situation is. We are where we are, okay. I would just want to encourage you I want to encourage you to be bold and to be strong and to finish as strong as you can. Don't feel a lot of pressure or guilt over this. Just finish strong. Ante up and meet the Lord with whatever he's calling you to do. Finish strong for your sake and for the sake of the story God wants to tell through our church. And third, there's some others who are sailing on smoother waters, financially and otherwise, in life right now. You've been surprised at God's provision in your life over the last year. Maybe your faith has increased and you know you need to make a new commitment to represent a proper stretch. Or maybe your finances have increased and you know that if you're going to get into a territory where you're trusting God instead of just your own planning, maybe you'll need to make an increase as well. That might not be a box some of you are expecting. But if it's a, a way that will get you into a place of dependence and trust and growth, it'd be a good thing. So every one of us, one of those three, Make a, make a commitment, first time. Or say, I'm going to finish strong as God enables me. And, or I'm going to make a new commitment. We're going to be quiet for a bit and just be prayerfully filling out these cards. And I'll pray, we'll be just silent. And then I will offer uh, um, just a brief closing prayer. And then we're going to sing. And during that song uh, is when uh, you'll be invited to just Imagine yourself putting your brick in the wall that God wants to build here, and the cards can get dropped into a bucket as they get passed by uh, where you're seated. Okay, let's, let's quiet our hearts and pray. God, we hold in our hands an indication of our willingness to sacrifice for you. This card demonstrates, in a way, our readiness to trust and to some degree determines the authenticity of our faith and the growth path of our next several months. And so we ask you to speak to us and help us do our part in this good work, we pray.
Okay, at all of our campuses, now's the time when we'll uh, sing together and pass these buckets and uh, let's just offer them now to the Lord. Lord God of heaven, help us as we do this good work to unleash love in your name for your sake, your glory, your honor. And all of God's people said, amen.